Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. I'm sitting here with Jem Fuller. Jem and I connected around men's work, um, and you do a lot of that work out in Australia with different types of retreats. Um, you've done courses, you've done speaking, uh, coaching, and I'm really excited to learn from kind of your career, kind of know more about what you've done and see kind of what you think about kind of the role of modern masculinity and emotional connection. Jem, welcome to the show. Mark, thanks for having me on. I'm always excited to talk about this and to have this conversation. I think it's so important. And, you know, there's so much that needs to be spoken about that hasn't been spoken about. And that's all intertwined with, you know, the culture that we've created for men, understandably, if we if we were to backtrack it. But the whole idea that vulnerability is a weakness and, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, Mark, but when I was a boy, I was told toughen up, harden up, suck it up, man up, don't cry like a girl. You know, and we still say this to our boys. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, we're teaching our boys that they have to excommunicate themselves from their emotional sensibility. And then we wonder why we end up with generations of men who can't really access their feelings, let alone communicate them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I see it show up with the guys I work with as, you know, depression, anxiety, try to push all that stuff away. And then just comes back 10 times harder, right? Yeah. So teaching men how to be more open is critical, right? To kind of like vent out that stuff before it blows up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. It was only when I, and I think it was out of necessity, when I started to express, um, you know, the deeper anxieties that I was going through on a personal level and was so ashamed about because my anxieties, this is going back in previous chapters of my life, mm-hmm. uh, my anxieties, well, I put them all unwittingly. I didn't do this on purpose. This just happened accidentally. But all of my anxieties got put into the space of sexual intimacy. And because, you know, to be a man, you think you have to have this prowess, you have to have this sexual ability to, you know, to be a real man. And so when that is challenged and becomes really tough, for me anyway, it was so embarrassing. You know, I was so ashamed. I didn't tell anybody. I mean, obviously my wife at the time knew, but nobody knew, which made it even worse, right? Because then it becomes this deep secret torture. And a lot of men who don't come to a place of being able to express that and and create some healing, either suffer silently for a long time in depression and anxiety or actually take their lives. And it wasn't until I had the courage to start speaking about my deepest anxieties that I realized that gave other men the green light to say, oh, wow, me too, you know, and to talk about it. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's worrying how many men there are out there who are too ashamed to talk about their deepest, darkest struggles, you know? Yeah, that's a great topic. You mind if we dive into that a little bit more? I don't mind I think, at all. yeah. Yeah, I think like men's sexual performance is not talked about at all, right? People that have like premature ejaculation or have erectile dysfunction. Yeah. And of yeah. course, whether it's about kind of like the biology there or about anxiety or depression coming into the bedroom, yeah. it, I think it's a place where our emotionality is really laid out to bear. 
And when I think about the messages that as men we get, it's like porn, right? Where it's like you have the guy that can last forever, that the woman is like begging for him, right? Yeah. That she's like screaming and howling in pleasure, right? Like it's yeah. such a insane thing to compare yourself to, right? Of like, oh, this yeah. is what sex is supposed to look like. So yeah. then when you're in the bedroom and it's nowhere near that, it's like, oh my God, like what, what's wrong with me? Was that part of your yeah. story there? Oh, look, that was definitely a part of it for sure. For yeah. me, it was the, I think the anxiety came in more psychologically and emotionally because yeah. combined with the fact that, you know, as boys becoming men, we see porn, which is a, a ridiculous idea that that's what it's actually like. Mm -hmm. um, combined with that was for me, I, all I wanted to be was her man. I wanted to be, I wanted to be her everything man, you know, and I wanted to be able to, for people listening and not watching, I'm doing it in inverted commas. I wanted to be able to take her in that way. You know, I wanted to be able to perform. I wanted her to be completely satiated with me. And so the irony was that because I wanted that so much, combined that in with the, the, the kind of subconscious dysfunctional belief that I had more broadly that I'm not enough, mm -hmm. I'm not good enough, which is a whole more broad um, and very common human belief, which leads into imposter syndrome and all of that kind of stuff. But combine that belief that I wasn't good enough with my desperate desire to just want to be good enough for her. And I came up with a cocktail of <laughs> a real racket in, you know, which which culminated in anxiety attacks for me. Uh, and no one in the outside world would have known because I presented to the outside world like I was this confident, successful guy with a wife and a couple of kids and a good career. But that my life was like an Instagram feed, you know, mm. um, and but deep down underneath all of that, uh, it was terrible. Yeah, full anxiety attacks and what you mentioned, premature ejaculation and, you know, the inability to to have an erection or, or maintain one, you know, and it all. And, and then I would just end up in sweats and shakes and it got pretty full on. Um, and it was a big part of us not being able to reconcile the marriage as well. So that marriage ended up finishing and it wasn't until after that that I started doing the work on myself around self-love, self-acceptance, self-okayness uh, and then luckily enough um, to meet uh, my current partner eight years ago and for it just to be the right mix for her to hold space for me to heal and recover and thankfully now um, you know enjoying a really beautiful wonderful normal um, sex life whatever normal is but fully functional so, yeah, it was a story of the past, but it was a story that went on for many, many years and it was terrible. And I know there are men that are still out there suffering in that space. Yeah, I think it's unbelievably common. I really appreciate you just dropping in and being so open right out the gate. You know, I mean, I've struggled with um, depression most of my life, right? And mm -hmm. I think similar to how you talk about your anxiety, it's very high functioning where yeah. most people don't know, right? I say yeah. by and large, 95% of people don't really know. I don't it doesn't seem to impact me from the outside, right? Like I show up, I don't miss my work appointments. I don't like stay in bed all day, right? Like I'm able to do my stuff and, you know, make money and have a job and do all that stuff, keep my house clean, right? Mm -hmm. But there's this internal kind of deadness that can come and go in my life where there's just mm -hmm. times I just feel very empty and nothing really gets in. And yeah. for me, and I'm curious if it's true for you, it kind of creates like this double mind fuck, right? Like one side, I'm like, well, it can't be that serious because I'm not compromised in the same way that I see other people that have depression and anxiety be really compromised. So like, am I just kind of full of myself? 
right? Yeah. Is it not real? And then the other one is, I think what you talked about, this imposter syndrome of being like, oh, I'm, I'm keeping the secret from everybody where yeah. I, there is something deeply wrong with me, you know, yeah. and, and people don't see it. And I'm just like a, a imposter or a trickster. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of those two scenarios may or may not be able to, I mean, you, you may live with it for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. i.e. Yeah. the, the yeah. depression and the feelings, but the other one you can change. The inauthenticity, the imposter syndrome, the pretending that everything's okay when it's not, you can change that. And I and I think it's probably better, healthier to at least be honest about where you're at in your life and feel that we can create um, communities and then more broadly, hopefully we can influence culture more broadly where it's okay to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people like you and I having these conversations now, which is heartening. But then again, also we're in our own confirmation bias bubble. And and so we know people who speak about it, but I, I'm guessing we're still a vast minority. I'm guessing the majority of um, males in our Western cultures um, can't talk about this stuff. I think it's true. Yeah, I think most guys you know, see it as weakness or are bullied for it or shamed for it or never say it because it's hard to know what normal is, right? And I I think you and I are very blessed in some ways, right, to be around people that are open and honest and interested in being genuine. But like you said, most guys I don't think are in those environments. And I think to be fair to them, like it's not like they're hiding. I think there's real consequences to being open about, you know, having depression or anxiety or, or whatever it is because, if you're not with guys that can hold, they can handle it. You get bullied, you get shut yeah. down, you get rejected, you get pushed away. You know, in extreme yeah. cases, maybe you even lose your job if you open up to the wrong person. You know, yeah. like it, there is a real risk in male there is, culture, there is, I think, and, in being vulnerable. Yeah. There, there is a real risk. And also at the same time, a lot of men who have never had these conversations are so ready for it, so yeah. wanting it. You know, like we, we had here in Australia a few months ago, um, men's mental health week mm-hmm. and one of my corporates asked me to come in and and for charity so the money that they normally would have paid me we sent to a men's mental health charity and they asked me to go in and just hold a men's circle and these these corporate guys have never sat in a men's circle I've been sitting in a men's circle around a fire for 12 or well, maybe 13 years now but so these men didn't know what that was I just positioned it that I was going to come in share some of my stories and then open the space for anyone to share anything they wanted if they wanted mm-hmm. not expecting that they would and they did you know mm-hmm. and out of the 12 men sitting around in a circle in a corporate environment in suits and ties um once one of them opened then another opened and then they all started opening and they spoke really vulnerably these are men who work together and i've heard since that the professional and it's it's all personal, but the professional relationships have deepened. Mm-hmm. You know the work that they do, the the way they communicate, the way they've got each other's back now, the the rapport they have, the relationships have deepened. So it's actually positively impacted their work. You know, I think that's great because nice. yeah, because they know each other and they know. It, yeah, they're not just the titles, right? They're it's now all yep. of a sudden it's like, whoa, here's another human sitting in front of me, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Can you say a little about what drew you to men's work? It's great you've been doing, you know, a men's group for about 13 years. I've been in my own for about six at this mm. point and, and run a fair amount of my practice. But I'm curious, how did you how did you first find this and how did you connect with your group? Uh, it was just organically. I think it was really a group of friends um, down the coast where I live. I live on the surf coast. 
So it's a, a series of little surfing towns. Um, and most of us down here, males and females, but but predominantly males, um, spend a lot of time in the water together. We surf together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself is uh, a connection that is rooted in nature because you're sitting in the ocean, you know, so it's a very natural connection. So a bunch of mates, um, I can't even remember who had the idea. Some of us are, are old hippies, you know, we we spent years wandering <laughs> around India. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so the idea of sitting around a fire together with no alcohol, no weed, um, just water, and sitting around a fire together and talking about um, particularly male issues or subjects, you know, that wasn't foreign to us. That just seemed natural. Our partners all sit in women's circle every month as well. Oh, that's really nice. That's so really they have cool. a beautiful, yeah. So they have a space where they sit, yeah. and we have a space where we sit. It's on Indigenous land, um, beautiful Aboriginal Australian land where we sit. So I don't know, man, it, for, for me, it was just, um, it felt normal and natural for us to start doing that. And then over the years, we've invited men in, you know, as it's happened organically. Yeah. I like that you bring up kind of the Indigenous Aboriginal route, because that's where I think a lot of this stuff was born, right? And yeah. since been lost in Western culture, but at least in America, when we look back at like, you know, First Nations and Indigenous tribes, they there was a men's lodge there was a women's lodge right there were like buildings dedicated in the town in the village right that people could come and gather and just talk openly and there were elders but most of that lodging time was probably similar to what you do right where it's there's not really a leader it's kind of just organically developed but there's something very human about that that just i think got lost it got lost i don't know how but it did yeah yeah. yeah, it did. And and so um, it, it's nice to sit again. It's interesting. Um, I had a, a midlife, I call it a midlife awakening. Mm-hmm. Most people would look at it, at it and call it the midlife crisis. When I lost my career and my marriage and my house and all my belongings and, mm-hmm. um, and my sense of identity to a large degree, apart from being my boy's father. So I had two young boys at the time. And um, through the separation of the marriage, we went into week on, week off. So I've been 50-50, week on, week off, mm-hmm. single parenting for the last you know, almost a decade. Oh, wow. And uh, But the the catalyst for this amazing midlife awakening was a night in a North American Indian sweat lodge here on Australian Aboriginal land. Mm-hmm. And we had some men who had been trained in the the practice of holding space in a lodge and some of the chanting and whatnot that goes on. So it was done all very respectfully and as authentically as we could as a bunch of Aussie blokes <laughs> doing and practicing a North American Indian male sweat on on mm-hmm. Aboriginal land. And so we were in this sweat and all um, completely naked and, and chanting in the pitch black in the mud. And I had an out of body experience, and it was a, probably a combination of the heat exhaustion and the mm-hmm. and the and the chanting. But I had an out of body experience, and it was, I mean, that's a whole other story. But that that was the catalyst for me to realise that I'd had this background belief for most of my life that I wasn't good enough, um, and then that was playing out in all sorts of um, limiting and dysfunctional ways. And so then to repair that belief and switch that out over time, and and. Um, creating habitual practice around this to actually convince myself <laughs> to to brainwash myself that I am enough, mm-hmm. you know, that I am enough just the way I am and that I shouldn't be more like anyone else. Going back to that porn thing, I shouldn't have a bigger dick. 
you know i shouldn't be able to be like the the men that you see in those videos or like the men that you see on the front covers of magazines and it's the same for women you know these bodies that they see and that we feel that we're not good enough because we don't look like that and that's crazy mm-hmm. you know absolutely crazy so to to come out of that spell and and really start to um generate a relationship with myself of complete radical self-acceptance and self-love and that I'm exactly who I should be and that I'm enough, you know? And so, so since then um, my life has become really wonderful. Yeah. I love hearing that. I want to, I want to hear more about the sweat lodge experience and how you got that, because I agree with you completely. That is such a message. And if you go like a little, you know, I'll tend to go politic with it. Sometimes it's like, I think the capitalist structure depends on that message, right? Is if we feel like we're not good enough, we're going to constantly be consuming and buying right. and trying to fill right. the hole and trying to, you know, keep this whole, you know, thing going. Um, I'm curious about the sweat lodge. I've done my, you know, a handful of Lakota sweats here in Colorado. There's a Lakota community that I joined for a while, um, you know, as a kind of as a tourist, right? Um, but uh-huh. I, I was welcomed in there and was able to participate in some of the sweats. And, and something that blew me away was just what you said is one, how dark it is. I didn't, for whatever reason, I thought there was like a fire on the inside, but it's not, it's just the rocks, right? And then two, how loud it is. I did not know there was chanting that was there. And I remember my first wet where I broke down in tears immediately because I remember being both terrified, truly terrified of like Mm -hmm. getting in there and starting to feel the heat rise and being like, oh my God, like, I don't know, like what I just get myself into. And then all of a sudden, I think this sweat was with a fair amount, maybe like 18 people, like a big, a pretty large group. And just right. like the voices and the drums and everything just like hit all at once. Yeah. And that just broke me open of like, holy shit. Like there is, I mean, I think to me it was like the power of community and the power of like singing and, you know, screaming and whooping through the pain because it's, yeah. it's hard. I mean, it's, it's really intense, especially in those like later rounds. Um, yeah. But like the drum beat never stops. And that was something that was very, very inspiring to me. I'm curious what your story around Sweat was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, listening to your story is just um, resonating so much. It's like a psychedelic experience, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because all of your senses are um, taken to a place that they, they don't sit normally. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so all of your senses are, are being stretched. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to chat more with you about that. Um, for, for me, it was very similar, you know, and it was a bit intimidating. Not intimidating is not the right word. It was, I was aware, I was a little bit aware that I was going into something that potentially could be quite profound and, and possibly scary. Um, but my experience didn't end up being scary. It ended up being quite an elation. Yeah. Do you feel like, and we'll talk about more on the side of the commercial break, but do you feel like you contacted anything spiritual? In oh, that? completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If spiritual is non-physical um, and out of body, so to speak, in inverted mm-hmm. commas, out of body. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I'm always interested in that. I'm interested, you know, currently in my life, I'm still a spiritual seeker trying to figure out exactly where and how I kind of situate to that. And, you know, in the sweat lodge, again, it's hard for me to know cause I'm such a skeptic in some ways, but it's like, there's this thing of like, when it's that friggin' hot, yeah. The only thoughts that I have are the most important ones because it just burns away all the right. bullshit. Right. Right. And like, whether that's a spiritual message, which I know some people believe, or that's just like a brain phenomena, which some people believe it doesn't yeah. matter to me. It was so clear. Some of those messages, because it was just, you know, your brain is boiling and yeah. there's no, there's no time for self delusion. 
It's just yeah. truth, you know? That's a great way of understanding it. For me to to kind of um, get my head around, to understand for me what spiritual is, what anything spiritual is, I've put it at the other end of the spectrum or the scale of ego slash identity. And so ego, our sense of who we think we are, is our sense of identity separate from everything else, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think you and I are about to go into a break. I'd love to talk more about this because that helps me um, place the experiences that we call spiritual. Yeah, let's go to our first commercial break and we'll pick up right where we left off when we come back on the other side of diving into these spiritual topics. And I think weaving it back to, you know, how men can find spirituality. Because I think that's also something that's really lacking. There's a there's so many phenomenal resources for women around reintroducing spirituality. And for men, I think, I think we're behind, you know, I think yeah, we have absolutely. to re- <laughs> reinvent and, and, and rediscover some of those connections. So um, if you're listening, hang in there and we'll see you on the side of the commercial break. Are you disenchanted by the saccharine laced stories that you were told when you were younger? Behind every success, there is a hidden journey filled with triumph and defeat. On From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay, you'll hear about the challenges that our guests had to overcome to become the successful people that they are today. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Jem Fuller, and we're just talking about Spirituality. I think we're talking about rediscovering. Um, I like the word of rediscovering instead of reinventing or or inventing, because I think it's already there. But rediscovering, you know, male spirituality, male community, male connection. Um, I know you've recently written a book called um, "The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men," which is, I think, about how to rediscover some of these communication strategies and building community. And I'm sure, we'll talk more about some of the skills or some of the theory you have around that. But uh, bring me back to the, your sweat experience and about your 
spiritual experience there. You were talking a little bit about how you define spiritual as the other end of the ego before we went to commercial break. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as humans, we, we have, you know, a range of experiences, obviously, and, and at this, um, the spectrum that I'm speaking about at one end is ego, which is our quite simply our sense of who we think we are, our sense of identity. And this sense of identity is in relation to everything else. So it's in separation. So this sense of identity exists in the illusion of duality, that you and I are separate from each other, which is an illusion. Quite literally, we're all intrinsically and inseparably a part of the same greater system. Right. So we know this intellectually. For me, a spiritual experience is when I start to embody and and beyond body experience that reality that we're all part of something bigger and we all have moments of this experience you can you can experience it in i don't know in a in an audience at a concert and the and those moments where the audience and the band gets swept away in something bigger than themselves and people say i lost myself in the music they didn't actually lose themselves. They lost their ego, their sense of separation, and they became one with the bigger picture. So we could call this a spiritual experience, so to say. So for me, spiritual really is just the fact that we are all a part of something bigger and that there is a greater system and that there is some kind of life force at play. And then the you know consciousness, which is the awareness of that. So that for me is all in the spiritual end of it. So in the sweat lodge, um, and whether it was uh, probably a combination of everything that you mentioned before, Mark, you know, the heat, the exhaustion, mm-hmm. and the sensory um, the sensory disorientation from what is normal in all ways, but I ended up having a spiritual experience. So then it became I was not aware of my physical body anymore. I felt like I was a part of the greater system. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was aware of, um, a sense of self, but I was five years old and it was very clear that I was five and I was flying, but there was no earth below me. It was just space. Quite similar to um, DMT. I don't know if you've ever had I DMT. I have with that, yep. Yep, so very similar to that. Um, and so it was like in that space of no up or down and no no ground or sky. It was just flying around, but five years old. And five years old, I found, I realised later was pertinent to me because when I was six is when I I really think I lost my innocence at the age of six. My father um, was very angry at me and lost his temper and and got really physical with me and scared the shit out of me. Um, But also in that moment, I became, um, my, my age of innocence was gone because I thought I wasn't good enough for my father because why would he beat me up if I was good enough for him, right? That was when I was six. But up until about five, I think I was still had this this beautiful innocence, you know, like life is just magical and wondrous and love. Um, and so, yeah, I had I was out of body like this. And then um, after some time, one of the guides had stayed in the sweat. All the other men had left. We'd been in there for hours doing rounds and rounds and rounds. And I didn't realise because I was out of body. And then gently the guide suggested to me that I come back into body and that we exit the sweat and go and sit around the fire. And it was funny. I I, I was just like, I, I was high as a kite and I felt just free. And, and, and I crawled out. I was exhausted, covered in sweat and mud, <laughs> maybe piss as well. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> and I crawled out around the fire and I was just sitting there with this big smile on my face. 
And one by one, the other men who had also had their special experiences, some of them were standing up and naming themselves. And they they seemed to me to be very serious names, like I am Flying Eagle or I am Roaring Bear or, you know, and, and they were strong names. Um, and I none of these names were coming to me. And nearby there was a body of water, a lake, and we were all very hot. And one by one, we men were making their way down into the lake to wash off. And I was one of the last ones and I ran down into the lake and I dived under the freezing cold water and I, I emerged up out of the water and it just came out of me. I, I named myself, I am naked wet boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it just, everyone just started laughing and, and, you know, it just, it kind of broke the seriousness of it and brought back this beautiful childhood um, ness to it. Um, and and if you don't mind, if I can just cont- finish the story, because this is, so then I got dressed and I went home and both of my boys were at home asleep. My, my mother had been at my house looking after the boys while I went to do this, you know, medicine work. And then mum left and I went to sleep that night and I had this most amazing dream, super, super clear. And I had this serpent that was had been living down the core of me and like it had always been there but i had it was time to get this serpent out of me and it was completely graphic and and lucid and i was reaching my hands down my throat and pulling it out but as soon as i would let go of it it would slither back inside me and it, like that was its home and it was desperate to stay there mm-hmm. anyway in the middle of trying to get this snake out one of my kids in real life um, was restless and I had to go and put my child back to sleep again but I knew the the work in the dream wasn't done yet so I went back to my bed back to sleep and back into the dream and then it was after some time that I realized I needed the help of other men so these faceless men were around me and they helped me get this serpent out and we found a way to keep it out it was more detailed than what I'm sharing now but then when I woke up in the morning immediately I knew what the serpent was and the serpent was the belief that I wasn't good enough Mm -hmm. that had been living in my core my whole life. And then I realized it's time to let go of that belief and to change that. That's when the work began and different books came my way and I read about neuroplasticity and how to rewire the brain and all of that kind of stuff. So this is this spiritual experience from the sweat, but I, like you, dude, I'm a skeptic. I grew up Mm -hmm. studying physics and maths in school. You know, I'm not a faith believer. I want I want to understand stuff in a way that I can get my mechanical head around it. Um, so it's not like I have these kind of experiences all the time. Having said that, I, I when I was younger, I did a lot of psychedelic exploration as well, and so I understand altered states. But yeah, that that was the the catalyst for um for the my life to really change. Yeah, it's a really it's a really touching story. I feel like I was right there with you diving into that pool, and you know emerging yeah. and going through kind of your rebirthing process. And mm. I think it brings up, um, this has nothing to do with your stories. It's my thing of like a longing for that kind of connected life that I think you're talking about, right? Where you mm. can spend time with dream. You can spend time in your community. You can spend time really um, introspecting and, and making meaning out of life, right? Yeah. That kind of like a slower paced, more plugged in way of being. Um, yeah. And it's incredible that, you got to experience that. I, I the story make about you is that you live in that place more often than not now. Um, yeah, yeah, is that true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. It seems well. It's known to me now. Yeah. Mm. 
you know, it's known. And look, I think part of the reason that these spiritual um, masculine feminine uh, experiences and spaces have been lost to us is because the system that we operate under and have done for quite some time is a patriarchal structure. Mm-hmm. And the patriarchy is all around dominance. It's all about you've got to be dominant. You've got to be more dominant than the kid in the play school. You've got to be more dominant than the the person next to you in your career. You have to beat people. You know, that's how the patriarchy works, which means there's no space for softness. There's no space for that community. There's no space to surrender and be vulnerable and let another man guide you through a spiritual experience. Because if you do that, then you're saying that he's dominant to you. In the, you know, in in the patriarchy way, anyway. So I think the, the biggest the biggest story that needs to change is that we need to um, change the structure. Mm-hmm. You know, which is easier said than done, obviously. But this, you know, it, the, this whole thing around equity in the workplace, there's no point in encouraging um, females and and any minority of, that hasn't been in the corporate world before. There's no point in bringing them in if we if the structure's the same and the only way they can be successful is to switch on their toxic masculine and try and beat each other. That's missing the point. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we need more feminine wisdom and sensibility and human centric leadership. Hundred percent, we do. But there's no point trying to inject that in there in a kind of synthesized way without changing the actual structure itself. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. Let's pivot to that, right? Because I have a handful of female clients and they're all, for the most part, in the kind of the corporate world, right? Mm. And it's wild, right? Like they're all going through this thing now, which I think is a lot to do with the diversity and issues, which are phenomenal around being like, oh my God, I'm in this patriarchal structure. I feel like I've really lost myself. I've actually, I am toxic masculinity, right? As women yeah. saying this of like, yeah. they've been brainwashed by toxic masculinity or they've you know, devalued in themselves the role of being a mother, right? Or the role of being a partner or even things that I would say are more feminine, like seeking and expressing beauty, right? Like appreciating beauty, which I think is a wonderful feminine quality. They've minimized all that and have become, you know, kind of workaholics and not just workaholics, but like depolarized workaholics, which I think in some ways is even worse than a man. Because as a man, at least we are kind of more in our masculine self, even though toxic Um, for women, like they it's like double oppression, right? Yeah, they're a workaholic yeah. and they're being forced to a system that doesn't work for them. So yeah, tell yeah, me more about so. that. What's, what do you see? Well, to, to elevate out of, out of the personal and everything's as important. So from the personal level is as important to talk about from the macro mm-hmm. level, but, but from the macro level anyway, the reason that it's dysfunctional is because the toxic masculine or masculine left alone without the balance of feminine mm-hmm. is foveal vision, focused on the result, get the result at all costs. Fuck the people. That's not really important. What's important is the bottom line. And it's very um, foveal vision, meaning it's just focused in that one direction and it's very literal. The masculine is literal. So literally we're going to do A, B, C and, and achieve that, right? And I'm going to beat you when I do it. Feminine is lateral. Feminine has expanded awareness. Feminine is expressive, whether whether feminine is showing up in a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. Feminine is um, creative. Feminine is um, seeing solutions to problems that masculine doesn't see. Feminine is human-centric. How is this affecting us as humans, as people, right? And so to lose that is just ridiculous in terms of solving bigger problems. We're not going to solve bigger problems without feminine. We, we really need feminine. So that's the, the reason why I'm passionate about uh, the patriarchy changing 
is for the greater good of humanity, all of us. You know, it's it doesn't matter what sex or gender or orientation doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm talking about all of us, right? <laughs> this is so important. Um, but yeah, and then so down on the personal level as well, absolutely, like you say, you know, these women um, who are right for the role and 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 should get the role that they get and they come into this role because they've got something to offer but then over time what they've brought to the table to offer gets diminished and put away and they can't be successful with that because they have to play the shitty old toxic masculine game so yeah double oppression for sure man and then they start to feel like they've lost themselves like who am i i used to be this and now i'm that and you know yeah i see that a lot as well yeah i see a ton of that and i think yeah, because macro is personal. It just like you said so beautifully. I've noticed that women that are in there, at least the ones that I've been working with, you know, they lose access to their sexuality. They lose mm. access to their appreciation of the world. A lot of them mm. lose access to joy that they used to have because those feminine qualities that are so inherent to them are getting kind of, yeah, pressed out of them or pressed out of them or, or rejected um, yeah. or being shown as weak. Um, and I think it's true for men too. I mean, I like what you said. I want to double underline that. I don't think we're talking about birth gender here, right? They're energies and you can yeah. have a masculine uh, woman and a feminine man and everything 100%. in between. Yeah. Um, so and you can flick the between listeners. the two. Yeah. And you can have both showing up in moments. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. I, I do agree with what you're saying is that it's the, it's the combination and the wonderful dance, right? Between those two energies that can create real meaningful change and healthy community yeah yeah absolutely you know when when both of those energies are um, expressed explored harnessed and experienced and utilized um, in a functional way then we have creative problem solving um, emotional human magical almost uh, workshop type situations where we work together across the divide of difference right where we harness diversity to come up with creative solutions to problems that we couldn't have come up with. And then we can, in the same breath, we can design a, a strategy, a way to achieve that. And we can take functional action with our focus on a goal together as a team and, and come together to do that, which is feminine and masculine working together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like a family, right? I mean, that, that's the idea, right? It's, it's kind yeah. of the original unit. Um, that yeah. builds that team. I know that's a lot of the work that you do is going into corporations um, and working both at the team and at the leadership level around mm. more acceptance and around kind of widening the scope. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And encouraging it to be okay that if uh, an executive sitting around the executive leadership team table uh, has an emotional moment and bursts into tears, let's sit with that in that and celebrate that rather than shutting that down. Yeah, because there's information there, right? So, like, let's try to understand what's going on. Um, no. So, we're going to move to our final commercial break. But I think it's a wonderful segue in talking more about your book. Um, in the next segment, I want to hear, you know, you talked about, you know, conscious communication for thoughtful men. And I'm curious, a couple things. Like, one, what are some conscious communication? How do you define that? What does that look mm -hmm. like? And then mm -hmm. what's a thoughtful man? You know, I'm, inter I'm very yeah. interested that you added that into this title um, yeah. and how you kind of increase thoughtfulness or maybe self-reflection or introspection or something in the men that you're writing for. Um, I think there's a lot of really good things to talk about um, when we get back from the commercial break. So if you're listening, uh, hang on in there and we'll see you on the other side. 
Are you disenchanted by the saccharine-laced stories that you were told when you were younger? Behind every success, there is a hidden journey filled with triumph and defeat. On From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay, you'll hear about the challenges that our guests had to overcome to become the successful people that they are today. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. In this segment, we'd like to talk directly to you, the listener, and... I think it dovetails really beautifully into your book, right? Which is conscious communication for thoughtful men. And I think it is a skill that is lacking and a skill that I'm really happy you're out there speaking directly to. So I want to go ahead and give you the floor. Can I say a little bit about what conscious communication is, um, what thoughtful male is, and maybe some skills or tactics that guys can employ? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, communication itself, because it underpins our ability to be effective in every aspect of our life. I think it gets overlooked as a skill that we could focus on developing and it gets forgotten about because you, I mean, you think about it without communication, you can't take an idea and and then manifest that into reality without being able to communicate it. You know, Einstein with all of his wonderful understandings of the mechanics of the universe would have meant nothing if he couldn't communicate it. And then also it's the bridge between isolation and connection. If you can't communicate, you're isolated. And isolation is death for humans, essentially. And so we have a a fear of isolation. And then if we are in isolation, depression and anxiety and all sorts of stuff. So communication is this. And then also communication underpins the quality of our relationships. You know, whether, whether it's a relationship with someone you don't know very well and it's purely transactional or whether it's a relationship with your deepest, most intimate partner or children and this the research that we've done over over the years has shown us that the quality of our relationships directly correlates with the quality of our life so how good is your life 
depends on how good your relationships are. Mm-hmm. And this is underpinned by the communication, right? So I, I believe it's ultimately important. And when I was doing some research for the book, uh, I went back, obviously, and looked at where the word communication comes from. And it comes from the Latin noun communicatio, which means a sharing, not a telling, <laughs> a sharing, you know, and the Latin verb communicare, which means to make common. Mm. So it's about making something common. This is communication. And then the reason I'm interested in conscious communication, the more conscious we are of anything, the more aware we are of it. So the more conscious, the more aware. So the more aware we are of the communication itself, which means what is the what is the purpose or the point of this communication? Why are we having this communication? Where are you at? Where am I at? Being able to elevate outside of, again, ego, which is my sense of identity, which is all about me, being able to elevate beyond that and practicing this as an art, as a, as a craft, developing the ability to to do that, to have more awareness in the communication itself, I, I think serves well. Um, the thoughtful men part, to, to be honest, Mark, I wrote that because I was trying to appeal to men. A lot of men don't pick up self-development books off the shelf. They just mm-hmm. don't. In fact, yeah. it's a lot of women who are picking up the book and 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 thinking, my man is a thoughtful man. I know he is, but he just doesn't ever read these books. So I wanted to read it. <laughs> but I also thought, by I, I think that most men think they're thoughtful. Mm-hmm. You know, if you said to a man, you, you're so thoughtless, you don't even consider anyone else, just because they haven't been able to express their their thoughts and their feelings doesn't mean they're not having them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and humans are, are very thoughtful. Our brains are always going, and a lot of men are good at switching off from that with sport or alcohol or or whatever. Um, but I think men are thoughtful. So I was hoping to appeal to men who would look at it and go, "Yeah, I am thoughtful. I want to read that book." Um, so that's why I put that that piece in there. But you know, some te- so if we were to get quite um, technical. Uh, you know, there's a process that I've come up with in the book that I explain in detail. But step one of that process can be a really good um, thing to go through to even know whether you should go and have this piece of communication or not. And that is to have a think about what is the higher purpose? Why would I have this piece of communication? And quite often, it's not the surface level. You know, so say, for example, between you and your partner, your intimate partner, and something's happened and it's been it's, it's happened so many times and it's built up to the point where you are completely frustrated and you just are angry even and you want to go and let them know right so what's the purpose of the communication is it that you want them to see you angry do you just want to, them to know that you're angry mm-hmm. and if it's that if that is the only part of the communication you don't care if they understand why you're angry you just want them to visibly see that you're upset sure go in there when you're angry but if the purpose of you communicating with them is so that they can understand why you're angry so that you can then explore um, and why do you want them to know that you're angry? Well, because there's this thing that they're doing and you're getting triggered by it and you would prefer not to have that happen. Why? Well, because you would prefer the relationship to be more harmonious. Oh, well, why do you want the relationship to be more harmonious? Well, because you love them, you know. So the higher purpose of the communication is that you want to come back to a place of connection, love and harmony. That's the purpose, not to express your anger. So then you go, well, maybe it's better for me now that I know why I'm going to have this piece of communication. Maybe it's better for me to go and um, 
commence this communication when I'm calm and I've got a much better chance of being able to express to my partner that I love you and this relationship means the world to me and us to be in harmony is really important. Is it okay with you if I express how I feel when this happens? Keeping in mind that the point of the communication is harmony, not anger, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 so similarly also, just say you're a leader and you've got someone in your team and you're thinking, I need to go and give them some feedback because the way they did that's not good enough. So what's the purpose of the communication you ask yourself first? For what purpose am I going to go and do this communication? Is it to give feedback? Mm-hmm. No. Why are you giving feedback? Well, so that they can improve. Why? So that they can thrive. Oh, so you're wanting the purpose of the communication is for this person who reports to you, for them to thrive at work and move into their potential. So when we remember the higher purpose of the communication, it's a really good place to start. Yeah, I love that you you bring that up, you know, and it makes me think so I would say 60% of my work as a therapist, right? Working with men is helping them on this very issue. Right. They right. come to me with some like raw emotion, usually pissed off at their spouse, if I'm being honest. Right. Yeah. They're like, oh, blah, 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 this and that. And she and blah, blah. And it's just like a lot of bluster, which I think is actually important. I would actually, I actually want to minimize. I think venting the emotion is important. Yeah. But then coming back to what you're saying of like that higher purpose, right? The reason can you make this a constructive, strength based, values based conversation around joining and finding common ground? Um, yeah. And I think it's really critical, right? Because I think, could we, what do you think about this? But I think men, we don't have a lot of emotional outlets, right? A lot of guys, like you said, bury it under sports or under alcohol or drugs or, you know, whatever, gambling, whatever their addictions are, right? Um, numb it out, put it in a box. And yeah. I think as men, because of our physical size and strength, our emotions can be really dangerous. And what I'm talking about yeah. is like abusive home situation, right? Or yeah. a self-destructive behavior, or even drinking way too much until you get sick and you throw up, right? Like I think as men, our emotions can be really dangerous. So we've learned to kind of compartmentalize them mm. um, and not find ways to express them. Um, mm. Mm. So I'm curious if, if you agree with that and how you bring that in of like discharging that emotional punch so that they can be more conscious and more aware, right? And more mindful in their communication. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I'm thinking back to uh, another chapter in the book, which is called Men and Emotions. Mm-hmm. And I describe a process in there for men to start to, um, in a safe way, start to um, become introspective and contemplative about whatever emotional or physiological state they might be experiencing in a given moment before it escalates to the point of of losing control. So when it becomes something that you can first become conscious of or aware of, and then how do I then express that to someone around me who cares about me, you know, so that we can start to teach ourselves to make it normal to experience emotions and and communicate them with our loved ones, you know, uh, before they get to the point of of us losing control and usually coming out in violence. I, I think it's something like 97% of the violence in the world is from males. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this has got something to do with it. So I, I agree with you. Emotions are obviously super important. They're, they're an indication to us of where we're at and what matters to us. So to feel frustration or to feel anger and then to be able to go outside and smash a brick if you need to, if you've got a a place outside where you've got some old rocks and a a sledgehammer and go and physicalize it, Mm -hmm. you know, if you need to, but, but then to 
understand that the reason that you feel so angry in that moment is because you love so much. Yeah. Because you care so much. If you didn't care, if you didn't give a shit, you wouldn't feel angry. You'd be like, whatever, (laughs) you know? And so it, it is, it's, it's a, it's a measure of how much you care, how much you love. Uh, And then to remember that then the communication that you are compelled to have is about reconciliation and and harmony and love and peace, you know, and masculine, the masculine actually does seek ultimate peace and quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, when you hear a man saying, just give me some peace and quiet, that actually that's a deep, deep conscious driven to the ultimate nothingness which is death. And that's, you know, if you read David Data's work, mm-hmm. you you understand that the masculine is, that's why we do the dare, the death-defying feats. That's why we ride the fast motorbike and jump off a cliff. And that's why we jump out of a plane. We're toying with the ultimate nothingness, you know? And so when a, when a, a masculine, when someone in their masculine, and it can be a female as well, but when someone in a masculine wants to switch off and just drink that beer and watch the sport and not think about anything. That's a a very deep drive within us. So to have that peace and that harmony with a partner who is um, volatile and emotional and expressive is this constant dance, you know, but if you're aware that, that you're seeking harmony, that you're not trying to fight, it can help. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really critical. I really like how you said that. Um, Before we wrap up the episode, I got to ask you another question, right? Because I think we both talked about the kind of the high conflict male, right? As somebody to work on and and talk about, but I'm curious about, I think you talked about the guy who, you know, identifies as thoughtful, who identifies maybe as being sensitive, identifies as being shy and Mm. can't communicate that, right? But it's still very alone, Mm. right? The guy that's having feelings, but can't get over his barriers uh, and is unable to connect with people. What would you Mm. say to that person? How could you help them? Well, within that within that group of people that that you're talking about, there's also a, a smaller subsection of that group, and there are some of us who are very cerebral. Mm-hmm. You know, we're very auditory digital. We process information and we make decisions, and then we express ourselves from a place of logic and and rationale and reason. And for these people who are just not naturally kinesthetic, when someone says to them, "How do you feel about this?" they they think, is there something wrong with me? I actually don't feel anything at all. It just yeah. doesn't make sense to me. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to be someone who is naturally cerebral and, and not so kinesthetic, not so in your body. That's okay. And you can express that as a feeling, so to speak, as well. Um, but to people, you know, in this group, I, I, first of all, is the radical self-acceptance that you don't need to be more like anyone else. You don't need to be more emotionally expressive if if you're not. It's not about what you should be. It's about your state of being in this moment. You know, where's your state of being? And, and being able to reflect and contemplate that. And if it's not where you hope it to be, the ability to then have someone around you that you can express that to, you know, and, and trying to find words, just trying to find some words. And if you're not feeling anything at all, Perhaps just insert a word like, I'm feeling calm right now. You know, you don't have to be um, feeling happy or sad. You can be feeling neutral as well, you know. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hearing, you know, small steps at a time. It doesn't have to be this yeah. whole big production. And yeah. what I'm hearing a lot is seeking safety, right? Finding people or outlets that feel very safe. 
I mean, yeah. those are great. Those are great words of wisdom. Uh, so, Jim, we're reaching the end. This flew by. Wow, I feel like yeah, there's so absolutely. much more we could talk about um, from spirituality to masculine development to dealing with men and healing trauma. Um, maybe on a future episode. But for now, can you let people know where they can find you online if they want to learn more about you and, and the work that you do out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, if you want to follow me on social, I do most of my posting on Instagram. It's Jem Fuller, J-E-M-F-U-L-L-E-R. Uh, and I'm Jem Fuller on LinkedIn and Facebook, those other platforms as well. If you would like to um, watch my TEDx talk or buy the book uh, or, or look at any of my other resources, jemfuller.com is the easiest uh, or Linktree, Jem Fuller. That's great. Well, thank you so much. And you did mention, I think, during our commercial break that your book is getting published in America. Is that true that you you found it in America? We haven't got the publishing deal yet. I've got um, I've got a literary and speaker agent who have just um, taken yes, me yes. on board and I've just signed contracts with them. So they're going to be there seeking um, some publishing deals in the States and some speaking engagements for me in the States. So I was over in LA a few weeks ago shaking hands with, with um, my agents. And I reckon next year in 2023, I'll be back a little bit. So maybe you and I could go for a coffee somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if you ever find yourself in Colorado, <laughs> let me know. Um, yeah. And yeah, so stay tuned and uh, you guys can get the book online too. If you're listening from America, you can always find it on the internet. Um, thanks is. so much for joining and we'll see you next week. Another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.